Storymakers. I'm Angie Powers. I'm Elizabeth Stark. And this is The Storymaker Show. This week, I interview Elizabeth, just to get really meta. Or, you know, narcissistic. Actually, we thought that this would be a good way to introduce ourselves to our listeners. Who are these people asking these questions? Why are they so hungry to know everything about story? Angie pulls out her hardball questions, and we dig into how to make writing as high a priority as any other kind of work, even though it's not usually as lucrative. The tremendous freedom of writing badly, vulnerability, what meditating and writing have in common, and a lot more. So Elizabeth Stark is the co-host of this podcast, Storymakers Show, and is also the author of the novel Shy Girl, which was published by FSG and Sealed Press, and was the co-director and writer of several short films, including Little Mutinies and the creative documentary FTF Female to Femme, and both of which are distributed by Frameline. She earned her MFA from Columbia University in creative writing, and you can take classes from her at bookwritingworld.com. Elizabeth also taught writing and literature at University of California, Santa Cruz, Pratt Institute, the Peralta Colleges, and Hobart and William Smith Colleges, and was the Distinguished Fiction Writer in St. Mary's College in 2010. Her writing has recently appeared in The Rumpus, and she presented at the San Francisco Writers' Conference just this past January in 2016. She'll be launching the Sonoma County Writers' Camp this summer. And the, the Sonoma County Writers' Camp will be opening registration to the public next week, so keep an eye out for that. And we still have a few more spaces in Spring Salon. Check out bookwritingworld.com forward slash classes for more information or to register. I'll see you at AWP next week. And enjoy the show. Hello. Today we have a very special, special podcast for you. I, Angie Powers, will be interviewing author, editor, mentor, Elizabeth Stark. Filmmaker. Filmmaker. That is true. Hi, Elizabeth. Welcome to the show. Thanks, Angie. It is such an honor to be here on Storymakers. And what a surprise. And a a total surprise. So I thought today I would throw a couple of questions at you. But what I really wanted to do was sort of start with your story-making story. And that Mm. is, uh, if you could go back in time and find the moment when it became clear to you that writing was where you were headed... Yeah, I mean, it's really early on, because uh, I think even before I actually could write, I had I remember having this binder paper, and I would sit, you know, with my legs straight out with the big binder across my lap and, and like, write. I think it was fake writing, but it was writing. I mean, in some ways, that's the most important thing, right? Just getting the marks on the page. <laughs> anyway, that was, like, three or something. Um, and then I remember that I wrote this very nostalgic story. It wasn't a whole story. It was the beginning of a chapter. And it began, and I was about eight. It began, I will always remember that plum tree summer. So it's so long ago. Yes, right? Like it just, it, somehow it amused me. But I knew right away that that nostalgic voice was the one that I so loved. And I, I found that a lot of writers have a voice that they do really easily and thus try all the time to avoid. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Or do you have one of those? Do you have a voice that you're like, this is easy for me. This is natural for me. It's, I don't want to do it. Uh, I don't actually think so. No, that's good. Maybe you're, maybe this is an area of self-acceptance. <laughs> actually, what I, what, I, what I I know, because I know you, is that you had considered for a very 
long time being an actor. So I was going to ask you where that, where those two met, where they changed places. And just for a very long time, we're talking like maybe six to like 17 years old. That is a very long time given the development (laughs) stages. I mean, right now. (laughs) Yes. Well, I mean, so yeah, so I loved, I loved theater and that's another form of storytelling. I mean, improv, I used to go with friends to um, perform in front of movie lines and we would do like slapstick comedy kind of thing with, you know, one person's hands putting makeup on the other person's face as if it's all one person. Where would you do this? So remember movie theaters? Um, <laughs> there'd be long lines for the movie theaters back in the old fashioned days. And, um, and so we'd be like out on, you know, California street or wherever in, in Berkeley and there'd be the line and people would be waiting to go into the movie. They didn't have a phone to look at. They didn't have anything to do with themselves. So we would perform and then pass the hat. So quite literally a captive audience. <laughs> exactly. If they wanted to see the movie, they had to watch your thing and then you would pass the hat and uh Although, so busking yes busking was was an early um uh, passion of mine um so yeah so i loved acting and i think for some of the same reasons i mean story character language one of my favorite books is audition by michael shirtliff and um i'm we'll, have, we'll put it in the show notes more correctly um but he and he talks about character motivation. You know, that's what you're what you're kind of figuring out. And so you're 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 embodying lines of text. Anyway, so acting was definitely a passion a passion of mine. And I went to Idlewild School of Music and the Arts and uh, majored in acting for the one semester I was allowed to be there. Um, and um, then I went to then I dropped out of high school and went to UC Santa Cruz and. Um, there I took an acting class my first quarter, I took a creative writing class my first quarter, and I took um, Women and Cinema with Teresa de Laritas. And um, what I found was that I, ha- I seemed to have a kind of natural ability for writing that I, the, the feedback I got about my writing was much more authentically enthusiastic than the feedback I was getting for acting. Acting seemed um, like a like a steep climb, and uh, and writing seemed like I was already there. Ha ha. <laughs> <laughs> Long hearty <coughs> laugh descending into coughing. <laughs> um. So there you are, and you're becoming a writer. You're focusing on writing. You're doing this thing. What, I, I wonder, you know, I mean, fast forward a certain amount of time, what has been the most terrifying aspect of being a writer for you? Well, that's a great question. We never ask anyone else these kind of hard ball questions, but it's a good one. Um, terrifying aspect of being a writer. I think one of the things that comes to mind right away is that it has become a real bottom line for me. Like I have... I'm not going to give up writing. I may not ever achieve the kind of success I'd like to achieve. I may not get the kind of recognition I'd like to get. Um, I've had a wonderful writing teacher who used to say to me, Elizabeth, you've published a book. A lot of people haven't, you know, gotten to do that. Um, and she hadn't and, um, and didn't. And, um, so, you know, so I feel really lucky, but, but nonetheless, like I have this kind of, I have, I have a, an ambition and then side by side with that, I have, 
I don't know, a habit, you know, mm-hmm. and the, and the, and I'm and I'm committed to the habit, which sounds sort of wonderful, but unless it's heroin, right? I mean, so the question is like, what is writing? <laughs> is it, is it heroin or is it you know, what's a good thing to be addicted to? Well, can you tell us about a time when you went dry? You know. I think actually when I look back and I look at all those piles of notebooks, it's like I've written and written and written. Now, sometimes it's been drek, but um, so dry is, you know, I think the the moment that comes to mind is when you, Angie Powers, said to me, it just doesn't seem like you enjoy writing anymore. And um, I realized that, you know, I had gotten into this like complaining depressive relationship with writing and that I didn't want to be there anymore and I feel like that was I think the kids were born so it was maybe seven years ago or something like that six years ago and I feel like I really transformed my relationship with writing after that so that was it wasn't that I wasn't writing but I wasn't enjoying writing and really what's the point right right why take heroin if you're not getting high (laughs) exactly um well that's sort of interesting and I'm also um intrigued by uh you know you compared to me have the ability that is an intriguing topic i know you just there you compared to me go um <laughs> no um not on not on a public recording <laughs> nothing's better for a relationship really quite than that activity but the question i actually have is you are able to create this habit and you talk about it. And so for someone like me, I really struggle with, you know, the idea of doing a daily practice. And so what do you think is a belief that you hold that allows you to do that? It's funny because Nina was talking about this the other day and she, and you could listen to our podcast with her, Nina Schuyler, and she was saying I'm I'm sort of competitive with myself, right? Because, you know, she's because she's doing 500 words a day or whatever and she's she sort of has to and it's this competition with herself and I feel like I have that because I have much more of a habit now than I have ever had in my life and I think that's been increasing um I I did do morning pages for years and years and years and that was that was a great starter habit right it's like three pages of whatever but it what it taught me was I remember one time we were at Stinson Beach you know sharing a one room cab or like one bedroom cabin with a whole lot of people kids everybody and um and I and I and everyone was going to go to the beach and I said I have to do these three pages first and people were like okay and I don't know what you guys you made breakfast or you went ahead or whatever it was but it was like it was fine and that was so surprising to me that I could sort of wedge my little need into the larger picture so I think having even that little habit started to teach me those things and then I think having kids taught me like the I don't know, the need and the extreme pleasure of having those little moments, right? It was like a vacation. <laughs> I have to work, right? Mm-hmm. And and um, and then slowly, slowly making writing um, as high a priority as any other kind of work, even though it's not as lucrative. Um, so I think, I think, but, you know, having, so, so, you know, it's like if you have to work, you just sit down and do it. And now I have that same sense with the writing. And then the huge newish thing from the last year has been, Robert Owen Butler's book from where you dream and this idea of writing right out of the dream space and so that it's just it's the first thing in the morning I do brush my teeth 
but you know it's the first thing and now I don't even read poetry anymore I used to read poetry let myself read poetry before and now I mean not that I won't again that's not a rule but I just like go right into it mm-hmm. and um, and I think that first thing space is incredibly precious I mean and for some people they do it late at night well what's interesting and I, I have just started reading this based on your suggestion but he's very focused on what he describes as sort of the senses and the sensual experience and I happen to know again from knowing you that you are a very cerebral person you have a tendency to go into your head let's think about that (laughs) and um so how then do you access that really sensual place for writing well, that's one of the things I think about being in the dream state is that the kind of enormous revved up, you know, power of my kind of to-do list brain isn't in action yet. I mean, it can, it can start, but it, um, you know, I'm much more in the dream state, which is bodily. And so that's thing one. And then thing two is letting, um, sort of starting to know that well, the other great exercise that, that it was from Jessica Hines, who, who does meditative writing, and she said, um, she, she asked us all to write a scene, the worst scene we could, right? And so I really tried to like make it cliched and predictable and purple and overblown and everything I'm afraid of. And, um, and it was so freeing because it still had things in it that were helpful to me. It was so much better to have written this really, really bad scene and I learned from it and I had things to take from it. And so it, that freed me. So um, so now I, I think now I go in and my brain is afraid of sensate detail and all of that, um, even though it's what I love the most. And and yet I just go, OK, do it badly. Like, just let me you know, let me do it badly. And I and I learn that what it means to be able to write is that what I do ends up having some value on the page, even if that voice is terribly sure it won't. Do you feel like if you go into the more physical or the sensate, do you experience any greater sense of vulnerability during the process? That is a good question too. I feel I get emotional. I go right there and I get emotional and I kind of have the experience that my character is having in a lot of ways. Um, but it's also really grounding. I mean, I think when I go out into the world and I look at, you know, a patch of gravel on the road or a blade of grass or the cherry, you know, what, what do the actual blossoms actually look like? Um, it's, it's uplifting in a way as well, or it's, it's sometimes it's poignant or, or whatever, but it's, so I think it's, um, it doesn't, it doesn't feel vulnerable. It feels present right like kind of like meditating like it's it can start off feeling a little uncomfortable the meditating and then he's like oh I, I don't want to sit still I can't sit still and then and then I settle into it and I think that's what happens with the writing as I settle into it and then I throw myself out again and that's what happens with meditating too so um <clears throat> if you were a young writer or a <clears throat> new to writing me. <laughs> if you were a new to writing writer um you know, what would be your first suggestion? You know, uh, and I think lots of people, you know, approach writing in a bunch of different ways, but it seems very common to me that people actually start in the place that he's kind of talking about very often, I think. I mean, not maybe not sensate. The, maybe not sensate, but I think that people, 
I think the better you get at writing, the harder it becomes in certain ways. And I think that when you're first starting, or at least, let me let me rephrase this. When I was ah. a, a young and new to writing writer, <clears throat> which I guess I still sort of am. Um, Wait, how can you be a young writer and I'm not? No, 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 I'm not young. Yeah. New to writing. Uh, not nude no, you're writing. Not, you're not, not nude. nude writing. You're not new or nude. Anyway. <laughs> um, that it seemed very easy for me to follow what I thought the story was telling me. I was really engaged by seeing and imagining, experiencing the story, but it really had no framework. Whatsoever. Well, you're talking about plot. But I want to say that, that that ability, which you think of as like some sort of nubiant flaw, is actually a, a talent. I mean, it's actually a native talent for writing. And, you know, and I, and I think actually a lot of newcomers to writing um, are, are for fantastic readers, right? Voracious readers, hopefully. I mean, ideally, right? And so what happens is you get a lot of people replicating the reading experience on the page. And the reading experience is having a lot of abstract thoughts and ideas and emotions in response to scene. And then going and thinking that that, that what you're creating on the page is a lot of abstract thinking and philosophizing and responding to a situation. Mm -hmm. When in fact, if you go to even the more cerebral abstract writers, you're gonna find so much sensei detail you know, in ratio to um, abstract. As you've gotten better at writing, and as you've sort of learned more about story, how has that changed your feeling about writing? I think that I have. I just heard Ethan Kanan on somewhere saying, you know, and we'll have that in the show notes. <laughs> well, hopefully, but we'll have Ethan Kanan. Literary writers in general can write, can create a scene, can create um, beautiful sentences, but story is what's really hard and I feel like people don't don't kind of fess up to that right mm -hmm. story is what's really hard now for some people like Stephen King I don't think story is what's hard for him right and so he says I don't plot right just like Ethan Kanan might say um I don't plan to make beautiful sentences right I mean so it's so um so we kind of we kind of lean into whatever our strength is I remember Bob Shakochis, and this might have been a quote of somebody else, but saying any, he wrote in his description at an early Bennington class that I took, any young writer, you know, be suspicious of any young writer who's not in love with language, something like that, mm -hmm. to paraphrase. But, um, but that's one kind of writer who's in love with language. Another kind of writer is in love with story. Stephen King is just obviously brilliant at, at like starting off so tangled up in some kind of story that you just can't help but get deeper and deeper and deeper into story um and so he doesn't have to plot and, and well and, and i think also though king is writing in a specific genre for the most part mm -hmm. so what what i see a lot of people struggle with around story is the thing that stays uh consistent and true and i think that with king you have these situations where um it's realistic but there is something that is outside the bounds of our regular experience so um you know i was thinking i haven't read that much king but the the stuff that i have read uh you know the langoliers which is like a story about people on this airplane that kind of get caught like a little bit in the past mm. and so and i guess like the langoliers are these things that eat the past and so they mm. have to get back 
to the present so as not to be eaten mm. by these things that wow. catch up, you know. And so it, and just wow. so then so then you know he stays in within like the logical framework of the story, but he definitely has one whopper of a premise that starts you off but, and which yeah. also physicalizes and kineticizes and sensitizes sensate detailizes right, right. an abstract idea right like what happens to the past mm-hmm. and we could sort of wax poetic or nibble on madeleines or whatever but and i mean to honestly what to stephen king i've read is like the, a story he had in the new yorker and of course on writing which is uh, wonderful so right. i i actually think that i will read some more Stephen King this year. That will be yeah. Mine. But um, yeah, so I think, um, but that's kind of an amazing thing to think of taking something that's abstract and making it so physical that it becomes this urgent, right, enactable crisis. Mm-hmm. And then you're that story. Yeah. And of course, my relationship with the past is such that I'm like, am I remembering this correctly? Maybe so, you have come up with a brilliant... No, no, I think this, I definitely read something, but, um, you know, we'll have to... We'll get it right in the something we'll fact in check the show on that. Notes. Yeah. Um, yeah, and so I think that the thing that intrigues me about that is thinking about, you know, when you're doing literary fiction, very often it is based so much in sort of reality. So how do you kind of push those extremes in a way that are engaging? You know what I mean? Well, I mean, here's the thing: reality in literary fiction that where it's slow going and I mean I love I love me a beautiful sentence and I love subtle human interaction I just want to say I thought you were mentioning a person when you said I love Mia Oh. Beautiful sentence, and I thought, who is Mia? You were going to reveal on the podcast. Who Mia? I love me a beautiful sentence, but um, but literary fiction like that where very little happens. I mean, that is based on a specific privileged life that only happens to certain young Western people of a certain class. And I add young in because I think that for in a lot of ways, I was part of that group. I had a certain level of privilege. I mean, I luckily I, my parents are a little uh, alternative. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, I had had some craziness thrown in there, but, um, but, you know, eventually what I call the one, two punch of life is going to introduce plot into even the most privileged life. Right. I mean, there's there's always Jeff. But, but there's but it's looking at those extremes and how you reasonably get there. I think it's sort of interesting you you look at something like Lolita and mm-hmm. and the the extreme is the point of view. Well, there are two things that are extreme. The extreme is the point of view and the extreme is that um it's being allowed to be written about at all because the truth is that um young women being molested has always been a forbidden topic for women to write about or even Freud wasn't allowed to talk about it after a certain point right I mean he this is what I heard he went to a some sort of conference and he said you know 90% of my patients have been molested and the conference people said that's completely impossible and so he developed a theory of fantasy I mean I agree with you but what I'm talking about is is within the work itself and and, Mm -hmm, and, mm -hmm. and thinking about how you push things to a realistic extreme within the context of the work's own 
uh, agreement. You right, know? right, right. Well, I think flaw, I mean, what you're talking about with Lolita is, is, is this terribly flawed character, right? And mm. I think that's one of the things we talk about is characters' flaws. And I think it was Ethan Cain again, somebody talking about bad behavior, right? Like going, like bad behavior. I mean, that's a good way to get into things that are, that can be both sort of reality-based and, um, and, and plot-driven. It's just bad behavior. Right, but I also think that sometimes when you have, um, well, I think about misery and the end, and going back to Stephen King, which I've not neither seen right. nor read. But yeah. Okay, but go ahead. But the basic premise is that a fan captures this author, um, and and takes this extreme action, and what's unusual about it, of course, is that you know we don't often see representations of women as captors for mm-hmm. one, mm-hmm. and. So she's forcing him to write. Right. She's forcing him to write a story she's happy with. Another a fantastic embodiment of an abstract problem. And, and a writer's greatest fear, probably. Um, having to sit <laughs> or, in the or same room. Or secret desire. Yes, that's true. How, sometimes those aren't very different. Um, but that it's, that's an extreme within a realistic world, right? Whereas... Um, extremes within fantasy or in science fiction can be very different. Right. Even though you have to adhere to the rules. And I think, um, you know, I agree with you about there being a certain class and a certain thing that happens, but I'm also thinking about um, stories where you're looking at communities that aren't necessarily rich um, financially, and they have these interactions that aren't necessarily like King's actions right mm-hmm. but the extremes are again still within a, a realistic construct i was thinking about um sunny's blues mm-hmm. james baldwin james baldwin and and that's a, you know that is such an amazing story and it captures such a time and a place and sort of all this you know specific stuff but i don't think it's like outrageous in its realism do you mm-hmm. know what i mean mm-hmm. So I think what I'm just trying to say is, you know, the emotions need to stretch and mm-hmm. be pulled to mm-hmm. the extremes. Mm-hmm. But I don't, you know, and, and how we do that is not necessarily by going to logical extremes within the world. world. Yeah, within the world. All right, so what's the question? Um, the question is, what do you think of that? <laughs> <laughs> Woo! <laughs> You know, what I think we're kind of getting into here is that, because you asked me about vulnerability, and I think we have to tap into the extremes in ourselves, right? We have to tap into the fact that we can hit extreme emotions over relatively minor situations, you know, that as human beings, we just have this incredible range, and we're kind of, I mean, we're, we're, we're struggling along to figure out what the meaning of what we're doing is and what the purpose is and what we're what the next step is right what the right choice is i mean that's why we need story is because we're so grappling. can you give us three quick tips before we wrap up on how to bring yourself authentically into the story pushing your own emotions and dealing with vulnerability all right well one of the things is if you like me write fiction I actually think that it's tremendous to pull pieces of yourself or even just to empathetically go with another character 
And then in some ways that frees you up to bring yourself in, to bring... So I feel like I'm so writing... So you're saying a character that's vastly different from yourself. Well, well I mean, even the fact that I'm writing, for example, about this heterosexual married couple, and I feel like I have so much more permission to bring our relationship in than I would... From who? <laughs> than I would if, if I were writing about, you know, say, uh, you know, a lesbian couple in Sebastopol raising two eight-year-olds. Okay. Do you know what I mean? Right. Like, I think... And in fact, when I was trying to write memoir, um, I think I was struggling with kind of all of that. How to articulate, what to articulate, and all of that. So I just want to say fiction, I think, is is one tremendous tool for accessing the truth through selection and through imagination and, and through projection. Um, so that's one. What was the other question? <laughs> uh, Three tips. Bringing your well, it was bringing yeah. your authentic self, dealing with vulnerability. I mean, I think you know what a great exercise to actually talk about. You know, what are the extremes in your? Where are you extreme? You know, I have like I have really extreme beliefs about gender that I almost I well, I always think I can't talk about. You know, I start to talk and then I talk around them and and. Um, you know, so I think that's kind of interesting, an exercise to me to think about where are the places that I feel extreme. And, and it's not just conceptually, you know, where, you know, it's like what drives me crazy. You know what I mean? Like, like nobody empties the trash or whatever. You know what I mean? These things that like what, what push, what push my extreme buttons emotionally. And um, so I think that's really interesting to think about it. When I actually am writing, um, I'm just sinking into what would this be like? What would what would this be like? And I'm drawing on everything I've experienced and everything I've watched other people experience and everything I've read and all of that sort of intuition about human beings that comes from being a reader, writer, and person. Well, this puts me in mind of an exercise from, and I can't remember her name right now, but it will be in the show notes. Uh, she wrote a book called Writing Short Screenplays That Connect, and she has a mm. thing called Le Menu. And she's got five questions that you sort of answer, you know, what scares you? What are you worried about? What, you know, just these, these, I think it's like 10 questions and you go through and you answer these questions and you kind of use them as a springboard for the topics of what you're going to work on. And of course she's looking at something much shorter, but I think that it, even when you're doing the long haul, having sort of, um, that kind of connection, that kind of, um, you know, this is what matters to me, uh, focus, that it will both be more authentic to you and what is important to you, but it'll also be um, a way to help you push through discomfort. Yeah. And I think being fascinated by your story, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, I think, um, yeah, I mean, I think all of that is, is great, just to, to dive in and, yeah. and let it go, go, go. All right, well, with that, I'm going to sing a song from Frozen. Uh, next week, we'll be having something else. And, Elizabeth, I want to say thank you well, for thank coming and, and sharing your wisdom with us today. Well, thank you, Andy.